0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24-monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply ctmobile.com. Welcome to the Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Anne Baldwin.
1: And welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. It's so great to have you along, whether you're listening at 5.30 a.m. or maybe you just got up and it's 9 o'clock. We appreciate you uh, tuning into the show, as always, and uh, it's great to have a little bit of a different co-host in the seat today, and I'll let you introduce yourself, my friend.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Beth Connor, and I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at The Connection. Right, filling yes.
1: in for Lisa Demattis Lapori. Yes, Lisa Demattis Lapori, President and CEO of The Connection. She's uh, taken a little bit of a hiatus. She's got a big. Big, big job. And so um, Beth has been nice enough to fill in the past couple of shows, and we much appreciate that. So we've got, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of different issues on this program. And uh, our last show was on reentry mm-hmm. uh, when po- folks are leaving the prison system. But today we're going to talk about what it's like behind bars here in Connecticut. And we've got Jane Upton with us, and uh, Jane is a certified alcohol and drug addiction counselor and uh, also works for the State Department of Correction, as I mentioned, at the Willard Cybulski facility. So um, your name, and you're a guest on this program here today because one of our former guests, Mark, uh, was actually incarcerated for DUIs, and uh, he spoke of meeting Jane. And how Jane really was his savior when he was incarcerated and you know how tough it was for him as a you know regular dude that had a regular you know great job high-profile job and boom he finds himself behind bars so Jane thanks for being here today it's great to be here you come with great recommendations so (laughs) so what is it like what is it like when you know somebody gets thrown in jail
2: for them it's uh, a little startling, I think. It's overwhelming. It's a new experience and something that, you know, for the first time, they don't know what to expect, so it's a bit frightening.
1: What can they expect?
2: At our facility, they can expect that they're going to be assessed and put into programming that will be uh, good for them. It will benefit them and help them to go back into society and hopefully not do the same mistakes.
1: Yeah, well, if you don't learn from your mistakes after something like that, because I know one of the things that Mark shared with us was, um, you know, in talking to me about some of the folks that get in there and that are, you know, strung out and they detox. So I'm in recovery myself. I can't imagine my recovery without a week in a medical facility detoxing, let alone being thrown in a jail cell. with. But, but the grace of God, that's not where I ended up. You know, they're in their detoxing, they're puking, they're doing their business. I mean, it's just horrible. Mm -hmm. What a horrible way to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, from our
2: facility, they're supposed to already have detox before they get to us. They do that in the jails, and they're supposed to be medically monitored, which I believe that they are. Um, I've never been to the jails. But by the time they get to us, they're past that. They're usually past that. Uh, So they're ready, hopefully, to uh, to get into some programming to help them with their substance abuse issues and mental health issues, uh, any other issues
0: they might have that will help them to stay out Talk about how prevalent this is in the prison system, and you know how many people are dealing with a substance abuse issue. Um, you know, folks that you work with, and, and what's the need for people like you that you know counsel these folks? Well, studies have shown that you know th- there's a wide
2: variation of numbers out there. Some some places, uh, some studies have said you know 50 percent of the population. Uh, I find that it's probably closer to 80 percent of the population wow. suffers from some su- sort of substance abuse issue. Um, so it's really important to, you know, get the, the inmate engaged in, in recovery and, in, uh, you know, wanting to change at least one thing about themselves so that when they leave, they won't keep repeating the same behaviors.
1: But I mean, does it work? I mean, do you find that those programs can turn somebody's life around? Absolutely.
2: Yes. But the, 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 the individual has to be engaged just out in, in society. If you're not engaged, then really nothing's going to happen. Uh, But I do, I receive phone calls from inmates all the time that tell me how they're doing. Uh, Before they leave, I generally tell them, give me a call. Let me know how how it's going and and, uh, if there's anything I can do to help you, you know, out there. You know, I'll do whatever I can. But the programming really does help. I mean, I think that, you know, the recidivism rates are much lower when um,
0: inmates are engaged in some type of program. And we see that. At the connection, so uh, you know we see the folks that are uh, leaving the prison system. They come to us for halfway house programming. We continue the education and and that, and it does make a big difference in recidivism rates and people going back into the system. Yes, absolutely.
1: So, are there enough programs right now? Or I I know it's hard because you're employed by the Department of Correction. So I'm not asking you to say anything. That you don't want to say but I'm sure that more could be done. There's always more that can
2: be done but I'm a huge proponent of prevention so I think that you know before uh, people are, are kind of pulled to that lifestyle that they should have more education that they should start in in middle school maybe even grammar school just yeah. giving basic information about addiction about um, mental health issues and then you know kind of pinpoint the people that the kids that might be prone, you know, and then kind of focus on them as they go through. I think much more can be done that way.
1: Right. Because I've heard a lot of talk and a lot of media reports that, you know, we're focusing on the addiction, we're focusing on the heroin, we're focusing on all these things, but it really kind of boils down to a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. And, and to address that and add more services and more support for mental health issues might be, you know, one of the barriers to even get Somebody to the next step, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, mental health issues and addiction
2: issues are go hand in hand a lot yeah. of times. Mm-hmm. You know? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, right. So you have to you have to address both issues at the same time. You can't just you know deal with the mental health without dealing with the substance abuse and vice versa. Um, you know, the chicken or the egg, which came first. Mm-hmm. You know, no one really knows. So you you address both of those issues at the same time, and hopefully you're gonna hit. You know something that's
0: going to stick and then and they'll be able to get the help that they need so talk about what you do with these folks with these inmates is it group counseling is it one-on-one counseling is there like a you know so many week uh, program that they have to go through what what does the structure look like in our facility we have groups mm-hmm. uh, an addiction services unit uh, we run DUI
2: groups which is what I run uh, there's a tier 2 group which is a general addiction group uh, those groups run 30 sessions. The DUI groups can run either 15 sessions or five, um, depending on the level of uh, engagement or if they've come in and they're already sober, uh, the inmates are sober already and they've, they're into recovery, you know, we assess them. Um, is it voluntary or is it mandated? No. Well, in our facility, well, across the state, actually, we have home confinement incentive, which means that... Uh, When they complete the program for DUI, they can potentially go home on a bracelet and serve their time, Mm. the rest of their time at home, which I'm not sure if Mark did that. That's generally what happens. They finish their their five session or their their 15 sessions, and then parole decides, you know, if they can leave or not. Uh, It's based on statutes. It's based on their charges. There's Mm -hmm. only certain charges that are eligible. Uh, for that type of thing.
1: And how much of the population is in there for, you know, substance abuse issues? I mean, I know you don't have exact numbers, but generally, I mean, what's your population look look like as far as substance abuse goes?
2: Our population, we're a, we're sort of a reentry um facility. So we see people who have been, you know, locked up someplace else for 40 years. They're in their last five years. And also people who just have, you know, shorter times. You know, this. There's a lot of people in my facility in our facility that have substance abuse issues they, they don't know it you know necessarily, but a lot of um, folks are assessed um, with with a score that we sit down and we talk to the inmate and we kind of do an assessment on them and, and determine their their score and then they are referred to addiction services unit and then we decide which program they'll go into. And it also goes for mental health, it goes for education, it goes for vocational, Um, programs as well. Mm -hmm. So we assess on many different levels.
1: We're speaking with Jane Upton and she's a certified alcohol and drug addiction counselor for uh, Willard Cybulski. My father was a corrections officer. He was a CO for years and years. He'd come home from work and I'd have to remind him that I wasn't an inmate. (laughs) (laughs) So I know how tough that environment is. He was in a couple of riots and Mm. you know it was his relationship with the inmates that really saved his life Mm -hmm. because uh, they protected the guy. So you know you're working in a really dangerous environment, and there's a lot to be said about that. People don't want to be there, and uh, so what? What do you see as what more needs to be done, or what does the future look like? Because you know you can't just keep throwing these people in jail, right? Um, what else can we do? And that's why outpatient services and and you know extensive outpatient is
0: well. I think Jane mentioned too. It's all about prevention mm-hmm. and
1: uh, right. Yes, getting to
0: them before it becomes. Something yes, I believe education
2: larger. is the key. Uh, prevention, education, mm-hmm. uh, the earlier the better, because you know, once we, once we get the guys in there, you know, it's kind of like you know the horse is already out of the barn, you know, and it's really hard to get that mm-hmm. horse back in the barn um, after years of of that lifestyle. You know, a lot of people they're not willing to to to, to learn and to and to change, you know. But so you know, I, I reframe it and say, you know, well, what do you want to learn? So that you don't ever have, have to come back here, if you don't believe you have an addiction issue, there's something that is missing in your life that you know, keeps leading
1: you back here. so let's work on that. Mm-hmm. And you've also worked in, in w- women's substance abuse facilities too. so um, is the problem equal? men yeah. and women both? Yes. Yeah. I mean, addiction is addiction, right? Mm. Um,
2: but you know, the women, you know, have that added, you know, if they have children. Sure. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of resistance to going into treatment, uh, because there's no one to take care of the kids. Um, and they're afraid of DCF coming and taking them. So there's, you know, a little bit more involved in the women.
0: What's a tougher population to work with? Women. Really? Yes. Mm. Because of all those issues? Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> okay. Does it get hard to listen to everybody's stories?
2: Uh, there, are, there are some times when it's hard to listen. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're all the same, you know, and, and I'm there to help them. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and in return, they help me. You know, I, I was telling my, my group today that, you know, they, they probably help me more than I help them because they, they really teach me stuff about myself every day. And that's always a good thing.
0: That's a great, yeah, great uh, attitude and great way to think about, I guess, what you're doing. So you're the only counselor there? No, oh.
2: no, no, no. There's several. There's, I think, um, six of us in the in the facility. And what's the, what's the prison population there? Uh, there's about, I think, 1,400 people wow. in, the, in the building. Wow. Yeah. That's a full house. Between Wilder and Cybulski, there's 1,400 people. and In Cybulski alone, there's 600 Mm-hmm. about
1: 620 do you feel from the outside of looking in that the the families and the people who might know somebody who's incarcerated do you feel there's enough support there or you know what should people do i remember i actually went and visited mark boy having never been in a prison before that was an interesting experience you know you're going through the bars and you're going through you know security and then you got to you know, you go in and you sit at this table next to 500 other families, and you're supposed to have a conversation across the table. It was really awkward, but I was really glad that I did it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what can people do? Or, you know, how important is outside support for the people who are in there? It's very
2: important, um, especially children, you know, to come visit their their dads in there. Uh, it's really good for the inmate. It's really good for the kids, too. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, because you know, a lot of times you know the kids really don't know what's going on, and so it's it's important for them to have the knowledge of this is where dad is, and it's important for the for yeah. the for the dad to know that their kids are okay. A lot of times I I talk to the guys, and you know they're like, I don't really know what's going on with my kids because my you know, whoever isn't taking, bringing them here to see me because they want, they don't want them to know. And we have a lot of conversations about that. I think it's really mm. important.
0: We <laughs> actually do some fatherhood work oh, do with some of our folks. We have a fatherhood in, initiative. Mm-hmm. And because there is, you know, when, when someone's been an inmate for many or several years, they do become disconnected from their families. And it's how do you re-engage? You know, when you haven't been a part of your child's life for a couple of years, you know, right. they change pretty rapidly and you know here you are a different person yourself coming out and how do you relate to one another so it's really a big uh a big thing especially for dads that want to be a part of their children's lives Um, you know, we have found that it's very meaningful to run these parent education classes and fatherhood initiatives, uh, especially with these guys that are, you know, coming out of prison and they, they want to take those next steps towards, you know, reunifying with their family. Right. Yeah. We're actually instituting
2: uh, more of that into our facility. We're a pilot program. Um, We have the fatherhood program come Mm -hmm. in and also Judy Dwarin comes in Um, the Judy Dwarren program comes in and, um, And they're making the visiting room more child-friendly, and they've Uh got different rooms that they're going to be able to have visits in. And it's going to be longer visits, this whole um, movement towards family.
1: And touch. Can you touch? Yes, yes.
2: Not yet, but it's coming. Really? Yes, Uh coming. Yes. I
1: can't imagine seeing my kid and
2: not being able to touch him. Right. And that's an important thing. Yeah. Right. Just, you know, for the child and for the inmate. Right. And, you know, the children have been through a lot of trauma already, you know, you know through seeing maybe the, the the dad get arrested and you know and then just all, everything that happens you know after the arrest and then maybe there's a long process where they don't know what's going to happen and then all of a sudden dad's gone and it may he may be hundreds of miles away you know and they don't right. have that contact uh, so I think it's going to be a, it's a really exciting thing that's going to be happening I really I'm really happy about it
0: we always talk about trauma at the connection because that's really what brings all of our clients to us some sort of trauma whatever it's been and it's really getting over those traumas so we we also employ a number of counselors and therapists and different types of people that that help individuals get over those traumas and work with them to build lives and and not hold them back right. so i certainly understand what you're talking about in terms of you know having these kids come in you don't want to reach, traumatize them but you want to be able to work with them to move their lives in the right direction so what about morning announcements
2: morning announcements I mean, uh, in, our particu- in the particular dorm that I'm associated with, um, we, we have a, a, a dorm that we have set aside for mostly recovery. Uh, and so we, um, we have a, a morning meeting that we do in there. And the, the inmates actually came up with a, a philosophy that's painted on the wall. And every morning, um, certain inmates are responsible for running the morning meeting. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, we say the philosophy, and then there's news. They, they say something about the news, what's going on, and then they have, there's a quote. And then people bring up issues that might be going on in the community that, you know, we can all resolve together. And, you know, keeping in mind, there are 115, 116 guys in, the, in this community. Um, so it's, you know, it can get a little bit chaotic. But for the most part, you know, people really want to work on stuff. So it's really, it's a good thing.
1: So it gives them some ownership, right? And it gives them a voice. Yes. And um, makes you feel like you've got a purpose to be there. Do you know what the writing is on the wall?
2: As members of this therapeutic community, we strive to change our attitudes, beliefs, and our behaviors. Change begins today. Change happens when we decide to make a commitment to change. Change begins today. Change happens when we decide to move in a new direction. Change begins today. Change happens when we decide to focus on what is in front of us rather than stumble over what is behind us. Change begins today.
1: But that's great, and that's all written on the wall. Yep. That's fantastic. Do you at all worry about over-connecting with inmates? No, I do not. As you're referred to, I guess, um, at Cybulski, you're Miss Upton. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like you're well-respected there. And, and how do you earn that? How do you get that respect? By giving it.
2: I mean, I, I treat everybody the same. I, you know, I, I don't see these guys as inmates. I don't see them as criminals. I don't see them as bad people. I mean, I, you know, they made a mistake, and anybody can make a mistake, and any one of us can be on that side. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just there's a thin line. Um, you know, and I, I, I enjoy connecting with people. You know, I enjoy chatting with people. I enjoy, you know, listening to their stories and trying to help them sort things out that's, that's what I do.
0: Are you ever able to talk with them or to reconnect with them when they've left prison? Have you heard Only, about how folks are doing?
2: Yeah. I mean, like I, like I said earlier, you know, I, I tell, I encourage the guys, you know, when they leave to give a call, let me know how they're doing. Mm-hmm. But other than that, no, I mean, that's not, yeah, no.
1: For <laughs> <laughs> <Verbotin'>. a Yeah, <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly. But it is, it is interesting to, to see, and you probably have a gut feeling too. I would imagine that, you know, if you, if you're just there to go through the motions, it's not going to work. But if you're there and you really admit a, that you've got an issue, that's number one, right? Admitting that you've got a problem and then taking these resources and really applying them to your life then there's hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the one thing is just, you know, it might be a hey, get out of jail for a couple hours situation, but it's what you do with that and then what you do once you leave. Mm-hmm. We talk about the reentry, having that program and having programs, you know, like the connections to for, for maybe support. for support. Maybe you need a roof over your head. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need 20 bucks, you know, to get to and from your job or you need help building your resume. All these things that you need that you haven't had for a while right yeah I mean and
2: housing and employment are the two biggest things biggest problems that you know people need help with when they get out Um, so it's really great you know that there are there are programs out there but you know there needs to be more of a follow-up on people Mm -hmm. when they leave because you know a lot of times you know people leave and it's like okay We're done. Right. And then there's no follow-up and they really don't know what to do after that. And so when they get into, you know, crisis, they get into issues, you know, they don't really know where to go.
0: Right. And there needs to be that continuity of care because they are getting these services and they're on that right path. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? You can't just be dropped out there and expect to succeed. Mm -hmm. Correct. And if you're you're thinking
2: about addiction as a disease, which it has been, you know, by the AMA from so many years ago, you Mm -hmm. know. There are other diseases out there, right, that people, they follow up on them. They have, you know, checkups every year or every two years or every five years to see how they're doing and see what we can do for them. And that's not with addiction. You know, it's like, here, you go over there and then see you later.
1: Right. Well, I think there's the attitude that how much effort do you put in one person, right? Like at what point do you, you know, can you stop babysitting? Uh, But it is a disease. It needs follow up. and, and, And the benefit to all mankind is that you... Get a productive member of society and somebody who's not, you know, flopping in and out of prison, which costs us a hell of a lot more money. So um, what about probation? Um, Is that a bit of a trap? I just know what Mark went through and with probation. And, you know, here you are, you lost your license. um, So you don't have a vehicle, but yet you got to check in and out with probation on a regular basis. It seems like there's all these things that you have to do afterwards that's so... Stifling. Mm-hmm. There are definitely barriers. Um, if you don't have a license, how are you going to get to
2: those appointments? Um, but it's it's kind of a continuation of the consequences of your behavior. You know, I don't agree with it or disagree with it. It's just how it is. You mm-hmm. know, I can't do anything about that and nobody can. So, you know, it's kind of another incentive not to get into that type of situation again.
1: I'm telling you, I mean, if anybody, you know, could just write a, a, a manual on the consequences of, let's say, three DUIs uh-huh. I don't think anybody in their right mind would ever drink and drive again because I've seen it I've seen you know someone who knows the bus schedule schedule like the back of their hand someone who has no place to go to no place to live um I've seen you know having to go to half-baked shrinks at x amount of dollars an hour that are totally not helpful but that's part of what you have to do right, right. and then not to mention with a DUI for example having to go Once you do get your license back after X amount of years, put in the breathalyzer, having that thing break down in and out and Mm -hmm. and having to get, you know, there's just, the list goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. The increase in insurance. I mean, all of it. Oh my gosh. But yeah, you created the problem. Mm -hmm. So you suffer the consequences. Yes. So, you know, that's, that's the way it is. So what is your hope? What is the hope that you see, you know, for folks you talk about, is it new programming? Is there just people need to know more of what they can do to support those people that are on the inside.
2: Yeah, and and also a, bit, a better understanding of addiction, you know, mm-hmm. that it's not a, it's not a moral thing, it's not you know that the person is bad, it's that it's a sick person getting well. Um and to you know, <coughs> we need to get the stigma off of addiction, right? right. And how many times do we, we talk, talk about it? We talk about it all that? the time. Correct. Correct. You know, yeah. and, and I hope someday we won't be talking about it that way. You know, that's my hope is that, you know, the stigma comes off and people are really, you know, I, I don't know of any family that isn't touched by addiction in some way. Right. A distant relative, you know, a distant relative, a, a friend, you know, a yeah. friend of a friend that everybody knows somebody Absolutely. who's struggling with that, you know, and if there was more understanding, more education, I think that, you know, that could go a lot further.
0: Jane, you've been doing this work a long time, fairly long time. About 12 years.
1: Yeah. Fairly long that's time. That's a long time. <laughs> and so how
0: how have you seen things change in those 12 years? In terms of situations, you know, is it more prevalent now? Um, I don't think it's more <laughs> prevalent. I think that, you know, there is a little
2: bit more understanding. I think there's a little bit more education mm-hmm. out there, um, which, you know, it's it's slow. It's slow moving. Mm. And there's more studies being done and there's more, there was more money being put into. <laughs> not, tr- now. <laughs> not now. Not uh, now. Maybe later. Um, so, you know, it, it's slowly changing. Um, I think there needs to be more advocacy for, for new um uh, laws and mm-hmm. and things like that, you know uh, you know what to do with with people who have addiction, you know they need to be in treatment or they need to be in jail, you know do it right. both or you right. know what 's mm-hmm. going on, so there still needs to be a, a big conversation,
1: yeah, long way to go, and there will be, so thank you, Jane Upton, for being on the program, and thanks for you know doing what you do, and your your reputation is mm. one that precedes you over at Cybulski. so um, we appreciate your insight here today. Thanks, thanks so ha- much. Thanks Jane. for having me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And thanks to all of you for listening to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. So.